Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back. I am your host Tia Harmer and today I am joined by Elliot D. Cohen, President of the Logic-Based Therapy and Consultation Institute and Executive Director of the National Philosophical Counseling Association. Today's topic addresses perfectionism and how it affects our productivity. Let's get started. Hi Elliot, how are you? I'm very good. It's great to be here. Um, let me tell you some things about myself uh, so that um, the audience can get acquainted with me. I'm a philosopher by training. I have a PhD in philosophy from Brown University. I'm one of the principal founders of philosophical counseling in the United States. So what is oh, philosophical wow. counseling? Well, it's helping people to solve problems of ordinary life uh, by using philosophy. Um, I'm one mm -hmm. of those philosophers who believe that philosophy can be very practical and useful. And that's what philosophical counseling is. Uh, it's it's mm. applied philosophy. And so one of those pioneers of applied philosophy uh, who believe that uh, philosophy can make a difference in people's lives. And so my work uh, largely hinges around uh, that um, motif, that concept. So we're now going to go into the part of the show where we get to know the guests. So this is the part where I'm going to ask Elliot some questions just to get to know him on a more personal level for the listeners. So our first question is, what is a recent book you have read? Well, um, the most recent book that I've read is a book uh, by Irv uh, Yalom, uh, a um, a psychologist, uh, and uh, it's it's on group um, therapy, the theory and practice oh, wow. of, of it. Um, it's a it's a very large book. Uh, it's it's about as six hundred pages. In, oh my goodness! <laughs> and and uh, it, um, but it's um, it's it's an interesting uh, work on um, group therapy. Mm. No, that sounds fascinating. Very long, though. That's very, that's very quite long-winded. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a mission you've given yourself there. Um, and my second question is: What is a movie you would recommend? I've recently saw the movie Elvis, and it uh, was very, very poignant. Um, mm. I. I grew to hate Tom Hanks uh, in it because he was so good. Yeah, he was so good at his manager, and mm. um, he, he was such a bad person that um, it, it was. <laughs> no, definitely. It was hard not to him. <laughs> yeah, Tom Hanks does a wonderful job. Um, yeah, in depicting mm -hmm. the Colonel and just seeing how he operates um, as Elvis's manager, I highly recommend for those um, who don't know. Baz Luhrmann brought out. 
the Elvis movie a couple of months ago now. I think it was in June. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, now you can watch it on all those streaming platforms and all those kinds of things. But, yes, definitely recommend. It is such an incredible movie. It does go for quite a while. I think it goes for two, two and a half hours. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it, yeah is, it is a long movie, um, which is very typical of Baz Luhrmann's style, but highly, highly recommend. So definitely go see that one if you haven't seen it. And my next question is, what is your favourite podcast, if you have one? Um, I do a lot of podcasts myself. Um, I, I don't uh, <laughs> really have a podcast that I would say is my favorite, but um, I've done a number of podcasts and a memorable, very memorable one that I've done. And I guess this is, it was one of my favorites. I don't think it's on anymore, but um, mm. uh, it was Michael Edelstein, uh, who is a psychologist. Uh, he had a, a, a podcast on uh, Albert Ellis's um, Rational Motive Behavior Therapy Oh wow! And 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 I, I was a guest on it uh, some few times, and um, I, I really enjoyed working with Michael. Michael was a uh, one of uh, the uh, supervisors and trainers uh, at the Albert Ellis Institute in New York City. Oh wow! And so he's one of the the old timers, you know, in, uh, <laughs> one of the originals in psychology. Yeah. And I enjoyed enjoyed his uh, presentations immensely. Oh, that's amazing! That sounds fascinating. What was that one called? Um, three minute therapy, um, and then. Um, it was on uh, rational motor behavior therapy. Mm. Oh, fascinating! That's sounds... not the exact title. Of it, but, <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> we can we can do some searching. We can do some searching. We'll try and put that one in the description. To Google. Yeah, got enough to Google. On exactly, it, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and my fourth question is: Who is your famous role model? If you have one, not everybody does. I, I do, and and this is a nice, easy transition from the Edelstein podcast to Albert Ellis, who was my <laughs> mentor as well. Oh, and, wow. And, he, and, El, and Ellis, Ellis was the founder of uh, uh, cognitive behavior therapy. Mm. And, and so he was, he's a major figure in, you know, in, in the areas of psychology. Yeah, and man. was uh, at a point in my life where, where I, I had lost my father and uh, I had... Um, uh, come upon his work, and then he sort of took me under his wing as his sort of uh, philosopher on call. Mm. Uh, he filled a lot of a lot of uh, seats there for me uh, in my life. Yeah, and I, I learned a good deal, and he from him, and he supported my work immensely. And so I owe him a great deal of oh, wow. gratitude. In fact, I, I I when I visited him last um, uh, when he was dying. Um, I told him that I would, you know, continue uh, his work uh, in my own philosophical way, you mm. know, through what I yeah. call logic-based therapy, which is a oh, version of rational motive behavior therapy. Mm. That's amazing. And I, yeah. Yeah, that's such a gorgeous connection that you have to someone who is your role model. That's, yeah, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And my fifth question is a course you have completed. It doesn't have to be recent. It <laughs> can be at any point in your life. <laughs> Well, this course is very recent. 
okay. because I've I've recent I've recently gone back to uh, earn uh, another degree. Oh wow! Uh, in um, yeah, in in um, clinical um, social work, and and I, I took a course that's um, I took a, a number of courses so far, but one of the courses that's um, I thought was quite quite um, useful is a course on research methods. <laughs> and, and Sounds so, useful. <laughs> I'm taking some courses now on um, on uh, uh, politics, essentially um, oh, wow. policy and in in mm. social work, uh, as well as uh, you know a, a course in group uh, therapy as well. Uh, that and that's where, where I got to read the Elm book, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. That's how that connects. That sounds so fascinating. Now you're definitely, um, yeah, very in, in deep in your field, which is so wonderful to hear. So as I already mentioned today, we are discussing perfectionism and how that affects our personal productivity and how to overcome it as a boundary when it comes to productivity. So for our listeners, Elliot, how would you define personal productivity? Well, I, I think there's a, a number of bullet points that I would I would lay down on, on that. Um, uh, one is the ability to multitask uh, while doing a reasonable job, mm. meeting deadlines and doing excellent work. And when you think uh, some people say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a good multitasker. But when you think about, you know, balancing your personal life uh, with your professional life, uh, you're multitasking. And being able, you know, to coordinate, you know, those balls in the air, so to speak. Yeah. So that, you know, you're keep a reason, keep them reasonably up in the air <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you're able, you know, to, to deal with the, you know, the, the difference, uh, the vicissitudes of life, you know, as they arise, I mean, that's, that's very important. Another thing is doing things that I regard from my own perspective here, or, you know, from anybody's perspective, who's really interested in personal productivity Mm. Uh, that you regard as 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 something that that you have a passion for, something yeah. that you think is important, mm. and uh, so so I think you know that that when you think of productivity, you don't think of trivial things, you know that you know you're doing, but just something that's really meaningful, something that's important. Yeah. If you're defining your productivity in terms of something you really don't care about, then <laughs> there's a there's actually a problem there. <laughs> Exactly, um, exactly. Changing my life now and then too, shaking up things uh, mm. so that I focus on doing different things at different times so that I keep the flame burning. And mm. so I like to, you know, do things like now I'm doing the social work thing. And um, uh, sometimes I've I've had rendezvous in um, freelance journalism. I've yeah, written wow. books in oh, cool. you know, politics and um a number of different, you know, controversial issues and so <laughs> forth. And when yeah. I get tired of that, I sort of move on. But, um, uh, but you know, so um, there's one thing that I think there's a common denominator in, in these things, however. Um, so I try to build on my knowledge and skills base. Mm. So I don't do something that's completely, you know, different. And it's probably hard to find, actually, things that are totally yeah. different. <laughs> you can't use your skill base. But... I, I look for continuity. So when mm. I do something else, 
there's always a connection with something I did previously. So mm -hmm. like my master's degree in, in clinical social work utilizes my prior work in philosophical counseling and clinical ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. That is being productive. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm continually evolving and I think, you know, that's the idea of productivity. It isn't, you know, you've done one project, you're productive, but you're constantly, you know, moving forward, mm -hmm. you know, in evolving and doing different things and seeing new connections and so forth. So that's really what I've come away with, you know, in my, my career, you know. Definitely. So, so on that note, sort of, how do you think perfectionism influences an individual's personal productivity? Or before we even get to that, how would you define perfectionism? Because I think it's something that we need to understand um, and not have sort of misconceived before we dive into it. So how would you define it? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a very important question. Um, and there's, there's actually two senses of perfectionism. And I've done a good deal of work. I've written a book recently on, on perfectionism, making oh, wow. peace with perfection. Uh, imperfection, uh, rather. Um, and uh, there's two senses of perfectionism that I, I um, distinguish in, in that book and, and elsewhere. One is what I call aspirational perfectionism, and it's, it's quite adaptive. So it's, 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 it's okay to be a, an aspirational perfectionist. And what does that mean? Well, you're constantly aspiring uh, to be perfect you're shooting for the stars, attempting to become better and better at what you do, mm. uh, realizing that there's no limit to how good you can get. But if you if you mess up or you fail to accomplish your immediate goal, you're still cool about it. It, yeah. it isn't like, you know, it's doom and gloom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, there's what um, I call demanding perfectionism, which is maladaptive. And um, you demand mm, okay. no less than perfection in whatever you do, or at least um, some things like your job, sports, school. Uh, in, in the sense, in this sense, making a mistake is a sign of being a failure, a weakness, some form of ineptitude. Um, if others disappoint your perfectionistic expectations. You may likewise see them as incompetent, stupid, a loser, mm. um, otherwise, you know, deficient. And for some perfectionists like this, uh, if, if things don't go their way, the world is a sucky place or just not one that really passes muster. So in this sense of perfectionism, you demand perfection. And I kind of italicized the word demand. Yeah, uh, you demand it of yourself, others, or the world, mm. uh, or some part of it, and and as a result of that, you live in this perpetual state of emotional stress. Yeah, so that's the maladaptive form of perfectionism. Interesting. So, how do you think? So, sort of going back to that question, how do you think perfectionism influences our individual productivity? Well, the maladaptive form uh, here uh, thwarts productivity, all right? And it does that by creating a very high level of emotional stress. It can lead to burnout, you give up, you feel unworthy. And then what happens is a self-fulfilled prophecy can take over where you let yourself, you know, 
fail. You set yourself up essentially for failure. Mm. Interesting. So that's 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 the bad news uh, <laughs> philosophy uh, to not take up. But unfortunately, uh, it, it's a it's a chronic problem for for many of us. Definitely. So let's talk about sort of the difference between perfectionism and having high standards because having high standards is different because it's more empathetic and kind of accepts flaws a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have um, for individuals who want to create goals of high standards but still avoid perfectionism at the same time? Uh, one thing I would say is don't set goals that are impossible or unlikely. Mm. And then, you know, demand that you achieve them. Uh, you, you could set goals that are impossible or unlikely, but just don't demand <laughs> that you achieve them. Yeah. See? Uh, so you can shoot for the stars. The sky's the limit. That's okay. But be realistic about possible outcomes. Mm. See? So you can't say, you say, well, I, you know, you set yourself up for failure and then when you fail, you say, well, you know, I told, I told myself, you know, I'm, I'm worthless. So you can actually go through this kind of cycle of proving your unworthiness, you know, mm-hmm. by creating standards that you can't achieve. And, um, and that's, you know, that's a recipe for, you know, burnout for sure. Um, Definitely. Be humble in the face of uncertainty. Yeah. Okay? And remembering that it's not about certainty, really, but it's, it's really about increasing probabilities. The world okay. is based on probabilities. What you do is based on probabilities. Mm. But if you demand certainty, you know, it must work. It has to work. And I emphasize the must, you know, or it should, it must. And if it doesn't, then all hell breaks loose, mm. you know, if you're, if you're a demanding perfectionist. But realizing that, you know, the world is based on probabilities that, you know, there isn't anything very interesting going on in this world that isn't based on probability. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's great advice. I think we're so prone to setting these um, goals and sort of these standards for ourselves that aren't achievable. Um, So not all types of perfectionism are harmful though. Adaptive perfectionism, like we talked about, can be beneficial whilst maladaptive perfectionism, on the other hand, is problematic. So how can, how can a person identify if their perfectionistic behavior is starting to get problematic? What are the red flags that people can sort of point out to themselves that they know that signifies to them sort of when perfectionism is starting to become a problem? Well, the maladaptive, that is a demanding form of perfectionism that we've been talking about, Mm. generates a lot of emotional stress, including anger, debilitating guilt, depression, and anxiety. And these emotions in turn take their toll on relationships with others, both, you know, whether it's in the home or, or it's in the workplace. So really red flags are, you know, to ask yourself, are, are, are you getting angry, feeling down, guilty, or exceptionally anxious? Are your relationships with others, your colleagues, your workmates, family, friends, mm. so forth, suffering? You know, if you could actually say, yeah, really, I'm, you know, getting into these scuffles, you know, and, and you know, 
I feel overly stressed about things, uh, that could be a sign. I mean, it's not necessarily the case that that's the reason. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of other conceivable reasons why somebody, you know, is stressed, including physiological reasons. Okay. But um, very often those, you know, are the signs, you know, anger, uh, are you getting angry too often? Are you, is this unlike you, you know, to get so impatient, you mm -hmm. know, with individuals? Um, are you um, really uh, having problems with, with uh, relationships that uh, you hadn't had problems with before? You know, these are, you know, red flags. So relationships and, and, and emotions, which go yeah. hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> would that be, <laughs> would that be classed as burnout or does that mean something else? Um, yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is a sign that you're heading towards burnout because demanding perfectionism uh, is associated. And there's been empirical studies that show this, that uh, that type of perfectionism is associated with burnout. Where you just lose your vitality. You lose your interest. You just, you're just there, you know, mm. and you're fulfilling <laughs> yeah. your job. I mean, I, I spent um, the past eight months, I, I, I worked uh, as a, a clinical ethicist in, in two hospitals and oh, wow. I was seeing patients and I was working with, with staff and so forth. And one of the things that we talked a lot about was, was the effects of uh, the COVID um, mm. epi uh, pandemic, you know, on, on healthcare workers Yeah, and, and, and the yeah, problems wow. and, and, uh, Every one of them that I spoke to said, you know, that, you know, they've wrestled, you know, with this problem, you know, trying to, to stay afloat mm -hmm. and, 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 and perfectionism came up, you know, that, that's really the, 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 um, a problem, you know, that, that people have, you know, with respect to, uh, high stress situations, you know, if you're demanding perfection and treating patients, for instance, and you're not getting it, you know, because it's not to be had. And, and, and you're in that situation where things are getting worse and worse and things are so bleak, you know, and you can't, you know, kind of departmentalize and see mm. that relative to the situation, you're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to say, no, this, I must, you know, mm. save the patient or I must, you know, be um, extra special here beyond you know, um, simply accepting, you know, the, the limits of, of reality, then, then you're in trouble. You see, and I've, I've seen a lot of that, you know, in mm. my career, you know, working with people. Definitely. Uh, and, and particularly too in, in, you know, the healthcare professions, which I've mm. done a lot of over the course of my life. Yeah, definitely. So what advice do you have for people who are sort of feeling this way? They're feeling like they've kind of reached their limit, they can't maintain sort of those standards for themselves that they would usually maintain. What advice do you have for people? Um, like how can someone who struggles with perfectionism sort of step back and, you know, tell themselves that, you know, it's okay that I don't achieve these unrealistic goals? Sort of how are people supposed to go about kind of diffusing their perfectionism? So how do you overcome it? Yeah, essentially. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, give yourself permission to be a human being. So what is a human being? A human being is imperfect, right? I mean, we're not God. 
right? <laughs> For those uh, who are, are very religious or, or, or believe in God, you know, uh, even believe in God, um, the only perfect being uh, is, is God. But mm. We're human. Okay. So we're, we're not, you know, we're not God. Accept mm. your own fallibility and limitations and those of others. Another thing, too, that we can do, um, and, and by the way, full, full confession, full, you know, disclosure here. Um, I am a reco- what I call a recovering uh, perfectionist. Okay. I, I have throughout mm-hmm. my life demanded okay. that I achieve mm. perfection yeah. in what I do. And I've worked on it for many, many years. I, I say recovering because it's, it's just like, um, like alcoholism or any addiction. Uh, you're always prone to it. Mm, so if you exactly. tell yourself, no, I'm fine, I'm cured, <laughs> then you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gotta be watching that. Bit ignorant. You know? <laughs> so so another, another thing here is to reframe failure or mistakes as a great opportunity to learn and grow stronger. Mm. That's really, you know, important because if you start seeing your failures, I mentioned before about healthcare, for example, uh, if you see your failures, you lose a patient or whatever, um, as, as, as a, as a failure, you're not going to see where you maybe could have learned something. So I, I always try to see, you know, what, when I've done something wrong, uh, how I could benefit from it, how I can learn from it. Mm. And, you know, we have philosophers like Frederick Nietzsche, for instance, who says that, you know, basically where you fall short, where you fail, that makes you to make you stronger. So he said suffering ignobles, meaning that, you know, when you, you know, when you're down and out in some ways, when you've fallen into situations that are difficult, Hmm. you can learn a good deal from those situations. Yes. Yeah. See, and, and I think that's very important. Another is don't expect the world to be perfect. You could try a broader perspective when things go wrong. So not everything is a catastrophe. You know, I mean, there, there, there are, you know, individuals and many of us who, who tend to catastrophize, you know, to, to think, see things as terrible, horrible and awful. Where when you put it into perspective in the broader scope of things, mm. You know, you you still have opportunities. You still have yeah, possibilities. Definitely it's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Another another possible another idea here that's I think important is not to try to control what's beyond your control, such as mm. other people's feelings, actions, thoughts, and their impressions of you. Instead, focus on what you can control. And what can you control? Well, you can control your actions, you control your emotions and your thoughts. You can't control other people's actions, emotions, and thoughts. Mm. You can control yours. Exactly. But as soon as you try to do others, then you know you're in problem. You're problematic. And and uh, there's a good um, quote from uh, a, a Stoic philosopher by the name of Epictetus, uh, who, who brings up this scenario. He says, imagine you're you know you're performing in front of a group of people you're a musician and you're performing Um, if you focus on trying to control what the audience is going to say about you uh, you, you're likely to mess up (laughs) yeah okay 
Uh, but if you focus on what you're doing, because that's where your power is, um, then you're fine. Okay. Mm. And the anxiety is generated by the, well, what happens if I fail? What are they going to say about me? Mm. It isn't, you know, actually performant, the performance per se, the same person could be in their room practicing. And I'm, I'm, an, I'm a musician, so I can identify with the <laughs> They can uh, yeah. perform, then I make mistakes and stuff too. <laughs> but <laughs> just keep going. Yeah. So nobody knows that you've made the mistakes. But, exactly. <laughs> but, 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 the, but the, if, you, if you're telling yourself, you know, what, what are people going to think of me? You're, you're going to be very anxious. But if you give up that fear because you don't try to control you know what people are going to think of you mm. uh, you do much better you know mm. you, you just do much much better um i guess another exactly. another thing i would say is be be your authentic self mm. don't base your self-worth on what others think of you yeah uh, instead accept yourself you know unconditionally not what others think of you but what you know you as a person are always okay. Mm. So you, that's not a barrier. It's, it's a, it's not, you know, that's a constant. It's, it's not a, a variable that keeps changing. Yeah, no, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think you touched on an interesting point before in terms of, um, you know, you were talking about the musician kind of analogy and how when you focus too much on what other people think of you, you're kind of going to, mess up in a weird kind of way so high expectation perfectionists you know demand the demand that they put on themselves can be emotionally draining and they have to conserve their energies and a lot of research has shown that you know perfectionism overall like you mentioned is kind of counterproductive so that being said how much in your opinion is somebody's productivity at stake if they continue to be a perfectionist? Well, if they continue to be a perfectionist, uh, they're going to, you know, ultimately sooner or later, they're going to meet shipwreck. I mean, and it might not be emotionally. Some people are very good, you know, at sustaining high stress emotionally. So they, they live in this state of suspended stress mm. because they demand perfection. And, you know, when you demand perfection, uh, even if you're doing well, there's always a possibility that you fall from grace at some point in the future. Mm. Because the future is unknown. So, you know, uh, it is there's always this constant stress. So if you can keep it up and live, why would you want to? But, I mean, if you... <laughs> Given yeah. <laughs> that suspended state of of, of stress, mm. there's something that will can happen, and it typically does, and and that's it has it takes its toll on your on your physical health. Mm. And there's there's lots of empirical studies, you know, that show that demanding perfection uh, can lead to various illnesses, any anything from heart attacks, high blood pressure, colitis. Um, oh wow! You know strokes. <laughs> Goodness, and, and even yeah. longevity has been linked, you know, oh your lifespan mm. has been linked, you know, to this. Uh, typically, people who, you know, live a long time aren't, you know, perfectaholics. 
they they don't put that kind of stress on themselves. Mm. No. And there's an old analogy. If you, if you took a, a, a hose of water and you just turned it on and left it on a building, just constantly pouring uh, the water onto the building, what would happen to the building eventually? It would well, start to corrode. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you know, when you when you um, engage in per- demanding perfection, what happens is certain parts of your brain, uh, the, the the executive portion of your brain contacts your amygdala and your fight or flight system, mm. and it's constantly going off. And what that system does, it pours a bunch of endocrine hormones into your bloodstream, and it doesn't give you a chance to settle down because it's constantly pouring it into you. Mm. And and what that does ultimately is it takes its toll, you know, on your physical health. Yeah. And so, you know, my advice to someone who, uh, you know, is a is a um, perfectionist who demands perfection, even if you think it's somehow giving you a boost, which it really isn't, it's just putting you under stress that you don't need to perform. There's good stress and bad stress. The, the bad stress is where you, you you put yourself in the state of perfect demanding perfection. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that'll take its toll eventually, you know, on your body in some way or another. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. And I think we've kind of seen the repercussions of that sort of post COVID and there's this kind of people are really exhausted and tired and burnt out and sort of, you know, people in the health sector Mm -hmm. and all these kind of things from having to um, sort of keep up with um, sort of how our lives were, but then adjusting to COVID and now going mm-hmm. back into it's kind of post-COVID. I don't exactly know if we can kind of say that we've fully um, mm-hmm. overcome the pandemic yet, but sort of watching how um, sort of the pandemic affected people, do you think that perfectionism sort of thrived in COVID or do you think it's something that maybe um, put a lid on perfectionism and kind of told everyone like, hey, you can't, you know, be doing, you know, perfect or being 100% all the time because it's just not viable? Well, I think it, I I think it created a lot of um, stress for people and those people who were perfectionists had a harder time dealing with it. And so there, there was, you know, more um, uh, anxiety and, and depression uh, during, you know, 2020, especially 2021. Um, uh, there was, there was a high incidence of um, anxiety and depression mm. uh, and, and mental illness uh, during the um, COVID, you know, those, the COVID crisis. Yeah mentioned uh and and i mean i believe that a lot of that you know and this i i I gather this from working with clients i do you know regular counseling with Mm. clients and uh i i believe that a lot of it you know was due to the perfectionism the demanding perfection very often when i work with a client and i i ask them you know i work with them to to formulate their belief system to try to find out what their you know, major premises are that are creating problems in their life. Almost invariably, when they're depressed or anxious, there's some form of perfectionism going on. And during the during the COVID crisis, it, it was, you know, really, really very lucid 
that that was going on, you know, and, mm-hmm. in, based on, you know, my clinical I- experience. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So going back to sort of this um, expectation that we put on ourselves, so perfectionists tend to abide by this all or nothing thinking, you know, if I haven't got you know, 100 out of 100 on a test, then I've failed. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. that very black or white thinking. There's sort of no gray zone in between sort of, oh, I kind of did it, but not really. So what advice Mm -hmm. do you have for people to stop this form of dichotomous thinking and explore the other options that they might have? Well, going to extremes tends to be irrational. You know, so if you say I must be perfect, or else I suck. Um, well, here, um, my favorite, there's one of my favorite philosophers is, is Aristotle. Uh, and, and, and he would admonish us that the virtuous path typically lies in a mean between the extremes. Mm. In other words, neither extreme is the moderate moderation. Uh, so you're neither perfect, nor do you suck. Instead, you're an imperfect person who has lots of positive potentials mm. if you're willing to put in the work to actualize them. Yeah. But you'll never be 100% actualized. And that's, you know, that's very important proviso there. There's always room for growth. Mm. But that's what makes life really so exciting. So, you know, imagine yeah. if, if whatever you did was perfect, that would be boring, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> you have nothing really exactly. you know, to be desired. Yeah. Mm. No, definitely. And I think it's so interesting kind of looking at that in terms of, um, you know, work expectations pre and post COVID. And I feel like there is almost, you know, less of a pressure to um, kind of succeed in such a way. But I want to ask sort of when it comes to, um, you know, particularly competitive professions so for example when it comes to medicine or when it comes to law or you know those kind of um, academic fields when those kind of fields are really competitive how do people still um, you know strive for their best without falling into that realm of having to be a perfectionist because I know like I'm currently at law school and the like pressure to get that perfect grade every time and that pressure to, um, you know, be able to be 100% like the best of the best constantly is so overwhelming. And you see, you know, so many law students as we get further on, you kind of burn out because nobody can kind of keep up with that pace. So what advice do you have for people in professions who feel like, to kind of succeed in their area of interest, they have to be a perfectionist. I, I think that, you know, when you define yourself in terms of your profession, so that if, if, I'm, if, if I don't succeed in my profession, then there's nothing left of me. I am nothing. Mm. And that if you, if you really see it that way that that you know i have to i have to succeed as an attorney or as a physician because that's what i am and if i fail then i'm worthless i'm unworthy see so it's that connection between demand for perfection that is i must never make a mistake i must never fail and if i do 
then somehow I'm worthless. I, you know, I'm, I'm just no good, you know, and, and, and that's, I think happens to a lot of professionals, you know, because, mm. and, and, and people who are, you know, in school, you know, trying to earn grades and, and this competition that somehow uh, I have to get that grade. I must get it. Otherwise I suck. I'm no good, you know? And, uh, and if you think of yourself as, you know, almost entirely in terms of the profession that you're going into or you're in, then where are you? You, you see yourself as kind of in, in nowhere land and, and as, mm. a, as a nothing. And, and, that, and that's where, you know, the catastrophizing comes in. Well, what am I going to do? My life is over. How horrible, how awful. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, they engage in what, what I call constipation, which uh, you, 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 you tell yourself you can't and you refuse to let go of that can't. You hold on to it. Mm. I can't. I can't fail. I can't. No. And, and as a result, you know, you, uh, you, have, you create an incredible emotional stress. You don't, you know, succeed uh, as well as you could have otherwise done often enough. And if you do, it's at the cost of creating, you know, that kind of stress for yourself. Yeah. So essentially, there's a kind of lineage here. I must succeed in this field. Otherwise, I'm worthless. Therefore, I can't let that happen. You see the, the stages, mm. in the thought process. And once you say you can't let that happen, you know, if it does, then you've got this contradiction going on, you know, and somehow life is over. It's horrible. It's <laughs> awful. <And> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So watch your thinking is one of the things that I would say, you know, watch the identification of yourself with your profession to the point that you see that as your, your defining value that mm. um, you are your profession. And if you, if you can't do well in that profession, you're nothing. That's, mm. that's bad news thinking, not a good <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I think that provides us with a nice segue um, into our practice and habit experiment debrief. So this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to ask Elliot um, sort of what he does to deal with the topic at hand. So obviously we're talking about perfectionism today. So Elliot, what is the practice that you do to deal with perfectionism? Okay, and uh, I, I did give full disclosure that I am also, you know, a recovering, as I said, yeah. perfectionist. So this is appropriate for me to answer since I've, I've dealt with this issue uh, as well as, as many, many others uh, in, in the world. I'd, mm. I'd say I did a study of about 2,000 uh, students oh, wow. uh, at, at one point, and, and um, half of them were, were you know, perfectionist, you know, by, according to the study. And um, there was um, about a little more, a, a little bit more um, females were demanded perfection than males, which mm. is kind of interesting as to, you know, why gender might have something to do with it. And I don't know if it's statistically significant because, you know, I'd like to repeat that study and see, mm. but uh, we can wonder, you know, why, you know, why so many people uh, demand perfection. But in, in any event, um, what what I try to do is bracket my work occasionally. 
and uh, do it regularly. So this means not working at certain points, giving yourself some time uh, to be away from, you know, what you're, what you're doing, you know, in, in the work, in the work uh, room. So what I do is arrange uh, uh, certain, you know, things, you know, that I do. Uh, for example, I, I enjoy watching movies on Netflix. That's how I got to see the Elvis. <laughs> had, yeah. had I not done that, I, I wouldn't have been able to answer your question because I wouldn't have watched any movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I like doing that. I also enjoy playing my guitar and singing. Oh, wow. Um, I'm, I'm an accomplished guitarist, and so the, the Epictetus uh, analogy is one I can identify with. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I find that, you know, relaxing. I also enjoy going for, for long walks. Mm. Uh, so I, I try practicing these these activities instead of chastising myself for not working. Yeah, so kind and of I, like think, mindfulness. You know, we need, well, you know, mind, mindfulness is 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 a very very good uh, activity. Uh, I I do that um, actually in the course of everyday life. Uh, yeah. And, and and this is what I mean by that. You see, mindfulness teaches you uh, to. Uh, be an observer rather than an evaluator of uh, thoughts. So you mm-hmm. get a thought. You know, if you if you're if you're a demanding perfectionist, you have a thought that, um, you know, I, I fell down on the job. I didn't do a perfect job. How horrible! How awful! That means I'm a failure. And I can't stand this and so forth. That's what that's what um, mindfulness. Uh, actually, mindfulness meditative processes help you to avoid. So you turn out to be an observer. You know, you, you yeah. observe these thoughts and you gently push them out of your consciousness. So, you know, one of the things is that, you know, you, you take courses in mindfulness that teach you how to have specific moments where you can do mindfulness meditation. And that's very good. Uh, what I try to do is in everyday life, when I have situations where things are problematic, you know, not what you want, hmm. um, I let the thoughts come to my mind and I don't evaluate. I observe them and let them pass away. And then when there's time, you know, to think about these things logistically, if it presents the kind of issue that I have to resolve, then I'll do it. You know, I'll think about yeah. the logistics. I won't ruminate about it because worry doesn't do anything. It just creates <laughs> exactly. more stress. Exactly. See? But but I think mindfulness can be done in everyday life. You know, mm. not everything that people say is terrible, horrible, and awful. So you just observe things, you know, you know. And, and a lot of times when people get really super angry, it's because they're saying to themselves, how awful that they said this to me. How terrible. I'm going to tell them off. But if yeah. you just listen, mm-hmm, okay, and you let it kind of fade away, it goes bye-bye, you know, and then, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what would yeah. you say are three good things about this practice? Well, with respect to, you know, taking this um, break from work, um, 
and doing stuff that you really enjoy, you know, and that they, they can be engrossing and provide relaxation. Um, you, they can also be cathartic. I mean, I, as I said, when I was watching the Elvis movie, uh, I, I really got engrossed in it and it was very cathartic, you know, mm. watching Elvis and oh, really definitely. identifying with some of the stuff that he went through, mm. you know, as a recovering um, perfectionist, I, I know what it is to put long hours into work. I, I, I didn't take drugs to, 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 to overcome it as, as, as Elvis <laughs> did, but um, yeah. But you, you, you can understand, you know, what he was up against and, mm. and, and there's a catharsis there going on. So it's an emotional outlet. So I think, you know, they can, it can provide an emotional outlet. You do stuff that's really interesting to you outside, you know, of your work. You yeah. know, have hobbies, have other things that you do that you enjoy. They're accessible and you don't you know, have to work to acquire them. For example... Uh, you just scroll through the movies and select one, or you lift up your guitar and start playing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's not exactly. work involved in it. So those are three things that I would suggest. So would you say there? Do you face any challenges when it comes to these practices? Um, I, I think there there are challenges when it comes to these practices, and the, and the main challenge is that when you have you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of balls in the air, you know, that you're doing a lot of things mm. and um, you, you want to, you know, have that time, that me time, but you also have these pressures pushing you in different directions. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you feel, you can feel that kind of pull, you know, that stress uh, if you allow it to, but you know, if you, if you, if you're strict enough and you say, no, sorry, you know, this is, this is my time. This is what I do. So you, you, you work at, at a reasonable schedule where you can schedule these things at a time that's, you know, that, that works for you. For example, I tend to do my, my um, social work assignments, which is very interesting. I, I, I write uh, papers for these uh, classes and I think to myself, gee, this is very publishable, but it's just a paper that I'm handing in for a day. <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I do my assignments, you know, uh, during, during the weekend, but you know, in the evenings I have time, hmm. you know, this done, I have a schedule. I know when it's done, I keep my schedule yeah. and then I do stuff, you know, that I, that I enjoy. So Sunday evening, Saturday night, I can go out, I can, can watch a movie or whatever. Um, but it's very important. It, it's, it's, I think what, what a lot of perfectionists do is they say, no, it's just my profession. I'm sorry. It takes priority. It takes precedent over everything else. And mm. if you do that, you, you're going to eventually feel that kind of overload. You know, yeah. so you need some, you know, relaxing. <laughs> Definitely. So how often do you usually do this? You sort of mentioned, um, you know, like picking up your guitar or going for long walks or those kind of things. How often do you make use of these practices? Well, my walks are five times a week. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's good for your health mm. and it's good for your sanity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the movies, um, 
you know, uh, if, if I'm, I could be doing something else, you know, uh, sometimes there's other things besides movies uh, that uh, I'll, I'll do as mm. a social event or whatever. But but uh, if there's nothing other than um, nothing that, that's also more interesting to do, uh, I'll watch a movie like on a Saturday night or yeah. whatever. So do you set up a certain time to do this or...? You just kind of do yeah. it as you feel. Yeah, yeah. I think I think having having times, uh, having schedules is very important for multitasking, which I mentioned is very important for productivity. Mm. And uh, the thing the thing is that um, schedules, you know, are not always carved in stone, and you know, and there are exigencies, things that come up that you don't expect. But then you get back on course. Okay. Now. A big problem is if you never get back on course because you just keep finding things that you have to do and you just keep scuttling your, you know, your free time, you know, and, and trading it for work. It's self-defeating. You think you're going to be more productive, but you're not. Yeah. See? So scheduling is really important. Having mm. a schedule uh, and uh, trying to stick to it as much as possible. Again, it's, you know, nothing's perfect. You know, even your schedule. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> even the schedules aren't perfect. Um, so how do you think this practice would impact your personal productivity? I, I think that I would probably be a lot less productive. Okay. If I didn't, you know, do the sorts of things that I'm saying that mm. you, you need a personal life where you do things that you enjoy outside of your work. Um, I enjoy my work immensely, um, you know, dedicated to what I do. But even those who say that, it's still important to do other things, you yeah. know, to uh, do stuff that's, that's different. Because as I mentioned, you know, with, with the idea of doing different things, even in your personal life, going on a vacation, you know, somewhere that you haven't been before uh, can be can be really vital, revitalizing um, because it's, it's just a monotony, you know, of things that can really get in the way of productivity. You know, mm. everything's humdrum. It's same thing, same thing over and over. Again. No, you want to, you know, shake it up a bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And your professional life too, you know. I, I, like I said, I, I do stuff, you know, at one point in my life that I didn't do in a previous part of my life, they're related to one another, but mm. you know, they're different, you know, so I, I, I'm not burned out. You know, I, I spent many, many years as a, as a professor, you know, and, and people were saying, well, you spent so many years as a professor. Well, you know, are you, you know, are you still enjoy it? You know, yeah, I do because I, I did different things. I did different things in the classroom. I did different things um, in, in my, my, personal life, you know, and uh, I'm still doing a lot of different things. I just mm. spent eight, mo eight months as a clinical ethicist in, in hospitals working with patients. I've never done it. You know, I've consulted with ethics, but I didn't do it heavy duty like that where I had a patient, yeah. you know, who was on their deathbed and being consulted on a daily basis. Mm. I mean, that, that was a lot of stress, but I was able to handle it because I, I, I do the stuff, you know, that I'm doing. I mean, you need some release time. A colleague of mine said that he likes to use humor because what we're doing here is is, 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 is very um, 
you know, <laughs> you, you use the word morbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, uh, definitely. Uh, but but it, you know, it could it could get you know to be that. But if you take the approach where you don't allow it to become, you know, all you do and you don't demand, you know, that everything go perfectly. Otherwise, it's all horrible, awful, terrible. Mm -hmm. And even in the stuff where you're dealing with death and dying, which is a lot of the stuff that I dealt with in South Florida, yeah. this is a lot of, you know, people in advanced years, you know, in, in the hospitals. And, and uh, that's, you know, a lot of the stuff we confronted. Mm. No, definitely. So based on your experience, which you've mentioned, do you have any other recommendations of practices to be combined or improved on um, with this practice? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that uh, mindfulness is, is a good, is an important part of it. That mm. um, when you, you know, do, when you release yourself, from the stresses of everyday life by doing stuff other than your work uh, and the stresses of everyday life, whether it's your work life or your, you know, your personal life. Um, the reason why it's working is you're focusing on something that's not, you know, uh, immediate, something that's, you know, potentially pressuring, yeah. you know? And, and, and mindfulness can help, you know, in that process. So even at work, see, you're not just, you know, reverberating with, with problems and, and, and evaluating them to the point that, that it drives you really stark raving mad. Um, the, the goal here is, is, is to be able to kind of put things into perspective, kind of look at them, and sometimes, you know, just mindfully let them pass. Let them go. Yeah. Especially stuff that's not important. Mm. You know, so, so in passing, somebody says something to you. You know, sometimes what happens is we hypothesize. Somebody, you know, at work is not friendly today. What did I do? They must hate me. Well, another hypothesis is they're going through a problem in their life. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so, you know, you can, you know, uh, think that way and then just let it let it pass and then you avoid a lot of stress and that stress can you know take its toll if it happens on a daily basis so mm -hmm. mindfulness activities in in ray i mean in 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 vivo rather i mean when you are actually working you can be mindful you can let things pass you know no. not not evaluate them to death yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and i think there's definitely things that you can do um, sort of very quickly and they don't have to be, you know, big, long, drawn-out activities. I think they are, are definitely things that you can sort of do in the office kind of on the fly um, to help you yeah, be more mindful um, of, you know, do, you don't have to be perfect. We're imperfect humans and, you know, just being able to have that mediation of trying your best. But, you know, if you don't always succeed, that's what I was trying to say, then, um yeah, it's, it's not the end of the world. Definitely no catastrophizing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go into some audience questions here. So I've got a question here 
that asks, um, I grew up being a perfectionist, but now I'm in my 20s and I'm burnt out. I'm trying to put 100% into my uni and work, but I've lost that spark in me. How can I get that motivation back? What um, did, this, did, did this individual say what they do uh, as, a, as a job? No, no, unfortunately they haven't. They just sort of said that they're at uni um, and they work and so they've kind of lost that spark. Um, they're a bit burnt out. Well, I, I, I think that it might depend too on, you know, whether they're trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm. In other words, to do the same thing that they were doing before. And you just can't can't go back home sometimes you have to go journey somewhere else that that has you know intrigue to it that, that has excitement in and of itself um, exploring new avenues and new fields and, and new new ideas and, and so forth mm. that can help uh, now demanding perfection as i said is based on you know a, a belief system that um demands that, um, you know, you, you perform well or that you get the approval of others and so forth. And, and if you don't, it's terrible, horrible and awful, or I'm worthless and I'm worthy and I can't stand it. These are oftentimes these syndromes of thinking. Yeah. So one thing is to ask oneself, you know, am I telling myself these kinds of things, you know, and what, what role models do you have, you know, in, in your life? who would give you advice about, you know, what you're saying to yourself. Like I failed or I, I did lousy at, at, at this. So therefore I'm worthless. The people that you value, you know, that you respect, did they ever fail? Did they ever make mistakes? And then what would they tell you? Hmm. You know, and what, what about your, you know, what are you thinking and what are you telling yourself to, to get yourself, you know, to this point that, you know, everything's meaningless. Are you telling yourself that uh, it's not going to work anyway? Things are going to be really terrible, horrible, and awful. It's going to be the same old thing. I'm going to fail. What are you telling yourself? So I would have to talk more uh, with, with the the individual to to find out exactly, you know, what their belief system is and how they, you know, what they might be generating from it. But, you know, that being said, it's always healthy to explore new avenues and to do different things. So that's one thing that I would suggest as well. Um, but, you know, um, uh, I have a book called um, uh, Making Peace with, with Imperfection, and um, it, it goes through 10 different types of perfectionism. And um, this individual may well be one of those <laughs> individuals you know, to which that book can be useful. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of exercises and, and behavioral you know, exercises that could be done and so forth. So Definitely. I would recommend taking a peek at that. Yeah, we'll leave a link um, to Elliot's book in the description if anyone's interested. Uh, Our next audience question is, if someone claims to be a perfectionist in a recruitment interview, is that a red flag? Should I still employ them or not? I would ask some more questions. Um, You know, I mean, we want to know, you know, if, if this is a perfectionist in the aspirational sense or, or a perfectionist in the demanding sense. 
So maybe asking questions like, well, what happens, you know, can you accept, can you accept failure? Mm. You know, what happens if you fail? How do you, how do you relate to that? Yeah. And if they tell you, well, I, I, I won't accept failure. I'll never fail. I will always do the best. <laughs> uh, don't hire them. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, like I think when it comes um, to work interviews, and even just like work your sort of requirements when you look on the the job adverts and a lot of the time it says sort of you know strives for perfection or is a perfectionist or you know detail orientated and all those kind of things and yeah it's just mm-hmm. i think you need to you can strive to be your best but you have to acknowledge that your best isn't always going to be you know perfect it isn't always mm-hmm. going to be um the standard that mm-hmm. you often put on yourself Exactly. Mm-hmm. So our last question is, um, oops, sorry, my computer's having a bit of a moment here. Um, okay, so this last question says, um, I think I am probably a perfectionist, but so far it hasn't negatively affected me. Do you think with such an attitude I am welcoming the potential negatives of perfectionism in the future? If you're demanding perfection, then the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, if you're telling yourself essentially that you must achieve or you must get the approval, you must be in control, okay, uh, and and uh, many a number of other you know types of I must have immediate gratification. Things must always go my way. The world must always be be perfect, and bad things must never happen. And uh, the world must be neat and tidy. And uh, if, if you're telling yourself stuff like that, then it's, it's going to catch up with you mm. uh, eventually, either your emotional or physical or both yeah. uh, will suffer uh, in the in the long term in all probability. Uh, so it, it depends. On the other hand, if you're, if you're just aiming for high standards, you have high standards and you know that you're going to fall short, you know, perfection, but you're just going to shoot for the stars, as I said, you know, and the sky's the limit. And so that's okay. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it depends where you're at, you know. In, in that, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that takes us nicely into our open mic section. So this is essentially the part of the podcast where Elliot, as the guest, gets to talk about anything that he's passionate about. It doesn't have to be related um, to productivity. So I will hand it over to Elliot now. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at first uh, I, I was thinking about um, talking about how dogs can be excellent therapists, you know, uh, if you're a perfectionist. Okay. It doesn't need to be perfectionism. But, uh, <laughs> oh, we love dogs, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and cats. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not as um, knowledgeable about cats as I am of dogs, but um, I've heard some really good cat stories too. From, okay. From my clients. We have a lot of cats. Helpful. Lots, yeah. lots of cats. Um, me and some of the other hosts in the in the studio. Everybody has a couple cats. I think one of the hosts she has maybe like four or five cats. Um, so they are uh-huh. they are well they are well loved here in the Melbourne studio. Yeah. <laughs> but I am a dog yeah. person. Yeah. I am definitely I am definitely a dog person. I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> well, the dog really 
has this incredible capacity to unconditionally accept and love you. Mm. Say, and, and so you, you have this, this cheerleader, you know, that, that will totally love you and accept you no matter, you know, what you say, of course, you, you, you have to be, don't, you know, be bad to your dog. <laughs> yeah. Be nice to your dog. <laughs> no, we, yeah, we love our but, dogs. <laughs> right. But it, 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 it doesn't matter how productive you are. The dog's still going to, you know, come mm. to you and, and exactly. you know, rub you. And in fact, in, in one of my recent books, I acknowledged my dog in the acknowledgments itself oh. uh, for having spent many hours by my side as I wrote it without complaining once, <laughs> except maybe to, to eager to go out for a walk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, one thing that, you know, is, is very nice, you know, if you if you can manage it, um, to get yourself, if you're a perfectionist, to get yourself a dog or a cat, you know, mm. uh, because they make great therapists, you know, they continue Definitely. to accept you and love you. And, and you don't have to do anything like produce in order for them to love you. And, mm. and I think it, 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 it's, it's, it, it sends this message that I'm okay, no matter what I do. And that's a good attitude to have for purposes of productivity. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. have just one dog or multiple? I, I, I'm sort of a one dog person at a time. Okay. Uh, I, I have now a Coton de Tulier who's oh, a, wow. like a little white dog. Um, oh, okay. Who's, he's, he's very fluffy. The Coton <laughs> is, is French for cotton, so he's very cottonless. Oh, okay. And he's a, he's a very, very lovely personality. He's very sweet. And, oh, um, that's so nice. Accepting. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, so yeah. I, 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 really, I really adore him. Um, I look forward, you know, to being with him. Definitely. And special. Yeah, exactly. That's he was in the acknowledgments. Part of the, <laughs> my activities, actually, being with my dog. Yeah. Exactly, uh, yeah. I, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think animals, um, yeah, pets just have this ability to, you know, show you love and appreciate you. And you provide such a very, like, you know, the bare minimum for them. You know, you, like, take them outside or you feed them when you give them, you know, like mm -hmm. a little house to live in or all that kind of stuff. And they love you unconditionally for it. I, I never had a dog. I love dogs, but I've never, I've never actually mm -hmm. had a dog and I don't have cats, but I have chickens, <laughs> like little fat, oh, okay. little fat birds. <laughs> they well, you, like know, little... you know, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but hmm. um, I have an, an, a home, uh, which is more, a little bit more rural than, than, current location and uh, when I go there there's there's a, a neighbor who, who raises who has chickens they ah. have six chickens that come out of a chicken coop every morning <laughs> they march back in at night yeah and and they run around and, and one of the interesting story uh, that that happened there was a squirrel I I've observed this squirrel uh, who would you know come down and try to eat the food you know mm. in the chicken you know <laughs> you know, there's a fence around it. Yeah. And he jump in, you know, and first they chased him away, but then he came back. He was a very determined squirrel. And then after a while, he just accepted him. Yeah. And then he just comes in there and eats, and they're running around him, and, and they're like friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely, that sounds like chickens. Yeah. My, um, I've got, 
uh, for for girls and they're uh, silky bantams. So they're the really, really fluffy ones with like the puffy, mm-hmm. little puffy afros. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, they're exactly like that. They, they'll kind of like fend off the other birds when I sort of give them feed and that kind of thing outside. They'll, they'll fend off the other birds first because they're like, this is our, this is our food. But after a while, sort of if those birds try to come back they kind of end up accepting them um and just sort of making do with having to stand around with all these like crows and robins and all this kind of stuff um but they're very they're very like yeah personable animals and um i wouldn't exactly say that they're maybe as loving as dogs are i think chickens can be a little more demanding in terms of um when they want food or what they want or when they want it um they can definitely Mm -hmm. be a bit more maybe it's just my chickens they have my chickens have very extreme (laughs) personalities they can be quite um they can be quite demanding but it's still nice though Mm -hmm. i can go out there and sort of pick them up because they don't fly obviously because they're just little fat birds um and just sort of pick them up and sort of carry them around and they don't really think anything of it and they just kind of (laughs) go along with it and they're just sort of like okay cool like she loves us and she gives us food yeah and it's nice and you're kind of reminded like you know when I'm studying or anything like that I can always just take a break and go outside and sort of sit with my chickens and eat with them and they just they don't mind they don't they don't care what I've been doing they're just sort of happy that I'm there and that I'm you know spending time with them and they'll love me either way or they might love me a little bit more if I give them food (laughs) if I don't give them food then they're not as maybe not as um but there's there's connections that people sometimes don't realize if they don't have these experiences that Mm. animals are not you know, brute creatures, they're smart. They have different ways of relating emotionally uh, mm. and, and uh, intellectually too in, in, in various ways. Definitely, yeah. So I highly recommend if it's, if for those listening, if you can get some kind of animal that if, if it's possible, then give it a go. I know like lots of, lots of my friends have birds because they're much easier to keep um, in sort of like apartment style places. And they're just as loving, especially if you get a nice bird. <laughs> if you get a nice animal that isn't like a dog or a cat, um, I highly recommend chickens, but you kind of have to have space to have chickens, unfortunately. <laughs> but birds, other birds, I highly recommend. Anyway, we got a little bit off track here, um, but that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Um, thank you so much, Elliot, for being here. Here. It's been such a pleasure and we've learned so much about um, perfectionism and how it affects our productivity. For those who want to find out a bit more about you and what you do, uh, where can they go? Um, there's a, a website. Um, my, my website is elliotdcohen.com. And um, if you want to read uh, some uh, things that I've written about perfectionism and other areas. Um, there's a psychology today, uh, blog that I do regularly, uh, okay. which is called what would Aristotle do? <laughs> and uh, Ooh, you, can, fascinating. you can Google that. And, um, I regularly publish articles, hmm. uh, post articles, uh, on psychology today on what would Aristotle do? Wow. Fascinating. Well, we'll leave uh, the links to Elliot's website, his book and all those other things in the description below. Um, But again, thank you so much, Elliot, for being here. It's been such a pleasure. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 
You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pp.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.